This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. In today's episode, I interview Nicole Jardim, the period girl. She is the author of Fix Your Period. You heard from her earlier in the season as part of my birth control series. And today we're here to talk about a six-week plan to balancing your hormones. And do follow me on Instagram at FemPowerHealth, where I cover information that I can't always fit into the podcast. And of course, if you like the podcast, please do rate it and write a review on your favorite podcast player. And without further ado, let's talk to Nicole. You just launched an incredible book called Fix Your Period. And I read it, highlighted much of it. So tell us how you got to fix your period, because I do want to talk about a theme in there that, you know, discusses how women can get to a balanced hormone place. But I think it would be helpful for women to understand how you even got to writing this book and the conclusions that you came to about this six weeks to hormone health program. I was that teenager who had terrible periods. I really struggled so badly for so many years and I was clueless. I had absolutely no idea that any of this meant anything besides being just my lot in life. And <laughs> this was it. And I remember my mom telling me that she had extremely terrible periods too, and that this was just kind of what it was. And then a few years into all of that, you know, and when I say terrible periods, I'm talking about super heavy bleeding, really pe- terrible period pain. My, uh, you know, I would, I would have all this spotting throughout the cycle. I had terrible mood swings. I was just a hot mess. And I just, like I said, I just assumed that it was all normal because not only was my mom saying this, but other friends had some of these issues as well. And, um, and then I finally saw a gynecologist and she put me on the pill because my periods had not only been so terrible, but then they started becoming really irregular. So she put me on the pill and I was like, hallelujah, I have found my period panacea. This is it. I can now live my life. And it really was that for the first few years. And then from there, I remember starting to experience all of these symptoms. Again, I had no clue what any of them meant, but you know, the like chronic yeast infections and UTIs, and I would have Uh, you know, these like really sex started to hurt. And then my sex drive just went away. And I just remember being like chronically sick. Like I I felt like I always had a cold. My, I had terrible gut health issues. My hair was falling out. I had developed melasma all over my face. I'll never forget a dermatologist telling me that this is only, this only happens to pregnant women. I don't know what is going on with you. You're only 20. This is so weird. You know, so stuff like that. And of course I'm completely traumatized by all of this. And I finally just gave up on, on conventional medicine when I took a UTI medication for, you know, the, the third time in the year or whatever at that point. And I ended up in the ER. I had an, I had an allergic reaction to it. Yeah, I know. So I had this allergic reaction, end up in the ER. I'm red, like a tomato. I'm itching. It's a nightmare. And 
my fever is like 104. And I finally am saying, okay, enough is enough. And the next day, a friend of mine said, you should really try my acupuncturist. And I was like, okay, I got nothing to lose. And he was the, was the first person in years to say, I think the birth control pill might have something to do with what's going on with you here. And I was like, hell no. But eventually I came around to the idea that this was, was a problem. And that was what helped me get off the pill. I started to make incremental changes to my diet because I was still in college. I mean, you know, I'm being realistic here. And, and that was the journey. That was the beginning of the journey for me. And that was 18 years ago, 15, 16 years ago is a long time ago. And I am at the point now where I feel better now in my early forties than I did in my early twenties, which is completely backwards. But that was really what set me on this path. And I'm so passionate about this because I was completely clueless. I was the most unlikely period girl ever. <laughs> I had no idea. I would lie in the doctor's office about when my last period was. Cause I'm like, I don't know. Why do I care? And, and now <laughs> I feel I'm like this obnoxious person who's like, you need to track your cycle. You need to know what is happening at every step of the way. So I, I really believe that fundamentally when we track our cycles and we know this information about our bodies, this is power that we have that we did not have before. And we can have educated conversations with our doctors. We're able to advocate for ourselves. We're able to not live in fear, but we live an empowered life knowing that our body has our back rather than it's always trying to dismantle our lives because that's what it feels like for so many women who have these chronic conditions or you know they are dealing with chronic period issues. So yeah, that's really how I got into all of this and why I wrote my book. <laughs> that's awesome. So I highlighted a few things in your book that I wanted to use as prompts today. So yeah. one is that hormones don't operate in a vacuum. So yes. talk to us about that. Yes. I learned that from Dr. Sarah Gottfried and I had done a training with her many years ago and she was you know, instrumental in me understanding how hormones work. And so when I say that, what I mean is that there is an endocrine system in our bodies. It is made up of glands that are essentially releasing hormones all day, every day. And these hormones are all communicating with each other via these glands. So there's this ongoing conversation that's happening. And when we do things like, for instance, take a birth control pill that shuts down the conversation between our pituitary gland and our brain and our ovaries, we are sending a signal to our ovaries, basically saying, we don't need, we don't need you to do your job anymore. The problem with that is that when you shut down the function of one endocrine gland, there are going to be problems that inevitably arise with other endocrine glands because they're dependent on the hormone production from your ovaries. Your thyroid is a perfect example of that. There is evidence that shows that you know, when you're on the birth control pill, uh, there that your it down regulates your thyroid function. So your thyroid doesn't work quite as well. And, so, and there are multiple other organs and systems that are potentially disrupted. But the point here is that your hormones are constantly in flux and they are based, they're, they're doing their thing based on what other hormones are doing. So ultimately we have to be cognizant of that when thinking about shutting down a, a whole endocrine gland in our bodies. To add to that, you had said one size fits all is not possible, which I think leads to why one of your recommendations to regulate hormones or the theme of your recommendation is, you know, this six week program. Yeah. Um, so maybe you can talk about, you know, why the one size fits all doesn't work. And then maybe start running through what that 
program looks like at a high level. And then of course, people can refer to your book for the details. Cause I think the details are really, really important because there's a lot of caveats you put in there. So I don't want women to think that what we discussed here is as simple as it is. So the one size fits all thing, I, you know, again, this comes back to the medical approach to human bodies. And as we know, you either, there are scientific studies and then there are human bodies and they both tend to go different ways. And so that to me is really where I get this, this idea that this, the one size fits all approach, as in, we're just going to prescribe the pill or a surgery or the IUD or whatever to everyone across the board is, you know, is, really potentially very harmful. And I recognize that it's not, it's it's not as simple as that, but that is generally what tends to happen. So um, I believe that there needs to be certain testing, like I said, for a bleeding disorder, for instance, or specific testing for PCOS before someone is put on the pill. Because, you know, the, the work of Dr. Felice Gersh, she is incredible. She's an OBGYN and she's written multiple books and her work around PCOS and how to address it without the pill, I think is groundbreaking and phenomenal. And really what I think we need, like I said, I think we just need a more nuanced approach to female bodies so that we can figure out, you know, what the best way forward is for that particular person, because as we know, suffering related to your menstrual cycle is statistically normal, but it's not biologically normal. And what I mean when I say that is that there's clearly a reason that you are suffering and I want everyone to be able to find out what that is. And I recognize too, that that's also a very privileged standpoint, which it shouldn't be. I was talking about this recently because I've had multiple low star reviews on my book claiming that my, you know, that the information I'm sharing is unrealistic and it comes from a place of privilege and all of these things. And I'm like, yeah, I'm operating within a system or a framework that has set it up to be that way that, you know, I, I mentioned as my line was Twinkies should not be more expensive than a bunch of kale. And yet that is the case in our country. Yep. And so that is the system that we're all operating in. And so don't shoot the messenger, but like really try and figure out how we change this system from the ground up, because that's what needs to happen. One of the things to consider if you look at an entire lifetime of, of dollars spent, which is if you eat only Twinkies now, just to go with the Twinkie example, you yes. know, when you're like 30, 60, whatever, you're going to be paying a lot of money for medications and doctor visits. So choosing the kale now <laughs> yes. feels expensive now. And look, again, place of privilege. It, it could still be perceived that way because many will say, look, these are my dollars. Right. You know, like someone Absolutely. on food stamps, they get a large Coke because that's how they're going to feed their children, especially if they're on food stamps. I'm not sure if food stamps cover Coke, but you know what, I, the point I'm, I'm trying to make, and I'm not trying to make light of it. So I, I think we can all acknowledge it stinks mm -hmm. and we all do the best we mm -hmm. can. And hopefully yeah. as people read your book and hear this podcast, they understand, do what you can within this. One thing I want to talk about is that diets are missing one factor, the individual. Like, I think I did a dance when I read that sentence. Definitely. There's a trend here about the individual approach that we have to take. And a lot of doctors I know practice what they call precision, individualized medicine. And I'm, I'm really into that. And again, it's hard to come by because it's not cheap, but it is fascinating to see how that is broken down. And I think food, of course, is, is one of the factors under that umbrella. And when I say that, you know, I, I quoted this study in the book and I've seen multiple 
sort of examples of this over the years with clients in that one person's medicine is another person's, uh, you know, illness or whatever you want to call it. And they, and some foods work great for some people, others don't. And I talked about this where in the book where I said, you know, someone could try a keto diet and it could really help their menstrual cycle pain, their irregularity. If they have PCOS, for instance, it can be really useful to be on a low carb diet. Whereas other women lose their periods completely on a low carb, high fat diet. And it just does not work for them genetically speaking, we're all so different. We may look the same outside, but we're not. And we, you know, some of us, for instance, tolerate higher carbohydrate diets better than those of us who, who have, um, you know, have a lower tolerance. Like we just genetically speaking, cannot tolerate carbohydrates. So the point here is that when we think about the food that we're eating, we have to take all of these things into consideration. And how we do that is by how we feel when we eat, forget what everybody else says about how you should eat you know, your personal trainer is possibly only thinking about how a male's body works because they're looking at studies on men and not on how a female body responds to the specific diet that they've recommended for you. So just consider all of this and ultimately how you feel after you eat uh, right away and then two or three hours after you eat and do you have energy crashes and do you sleep well? Do you wake up feeling tired? Do you need caffeine? All of these are going to tell you whether what you're eating is working for your body. So again, tuning in. Um, so that's really what I want to say about that. And then when it comes to this six week protocol, <laughs> one size fits all kind of, but not really, because I really feel like there are foundational pillars that we yes. can all, we can all implement in our lives. And, you know, and this is the thing where we're coming back to this conversation about the haves and the have nots and privilege and, you know, what we're all capable of doing. And, I will say I was in college. I had no money. I came to this country by myself. I had no one helping me at all. I was like scrounging up $60 to pay this acupuncturist to go to him and not, I would, I wouldn't do anything else. I was like, well, I gotta, I gotta fix my health. So it's really, I think for many of us, it's about having a priority. Like, what are you, what's the priority for you right now? And if it isn't your health, that's okay. Like no judgment. You know, I think that we all have to figure out what's right. And so ultimately what I'm saying here is that there are things that we can we can do. I believe that the majority of us have at least a few things that we can do in our lives to help improve how we're feeling. And, uh, and food, of course, is the first place to start. I had someone say to me the other day that she knows people who make a ton of money and still feel like they can't buy the right quality food that they want. And then there's others in her life who are on food stamps or who are very low income and are able to eat healthy uh, you know, on that budget. So I always find that really interesting because I think that we can all make it work to some degree. Uh, so anyway, my point is, is that that's where we start. We start with food as medicine and, uh, you know, you can, you can even just see if you can just add in one thing that is nutrient dense into your diet. I feel like that can be an almost game changer for some people. And one of my other things that I'm a really big proponent of is how do you arrange your plate? What does your plate actually look like? Do you have, you know, a lot of carbs and then just a little bit of protein and no fat at all, no healthy fats, or um, are you doing it the way I would recommend? And this is a ratio that I think can be adjusted according to your lifestyle, but half of your plate should be uh, that in the form of veggies of some kind, and mostly the green vegetables, cruciferous vegetables, the leafy greens, if you can do that, 
and then a quarter should be protein and a quarter should be fat. And I think that if we can work out a, a way to make your plate look something like that, you're going to start to feel better. You're going to get more fiber. You're going to get more nutrients. Your body's going to have the raw materials to do what it needs to do to make your hormones and make you have energy. So I think that's the first thing. I think the second thing, the pillar that I talk about is uh, blood sugar balancing. And that, I mean, are you kidding me? Where do I even begin with that? I feel like I'll take a high level approach, but ultimately blood sugar imbalance and uh, diabetes, pre-diabetes are epidemic, right? They're, yeah. I mean, they're literally a threat to modern life as far as I'm concerned. And at this point, if we can all make an effort to stabilize our blood sugar, we are doing ourselves massive, massive favors because this is not just about diabetes. This is about what is happening in your, with your overall health and not just now, but in the future. So they, they call Alzheimer's type three diabetes. They call them, they call it that for a reason. And, you know, and when we talk about, uh, you know, all of these chronic conditions that come from the inflammation that starts because of chronic blood sugar and insulin imbalance, we would be doing ourselves a huge favor if we worked on that. So I've been like working on my health for a really long time. And especially when I started with fertility treatments, thanks to Dr. Braverman completely transformed my experimentation. I've tried everything. What I will say is getting pregnant. Like it's all about higher fat. And I used to be the low fat person. And I started to get better about reading labels. And one thing I, I think is really important for folks to know is the low fat, phase, I think really negatively impacted a lot of us because in order to make the low fat products taste good, they ended up putting a lot of sugar in it. Nonetheless, you know, I've transformed. I even did uh, the AIP diet that I read about in Amy Ralph's book, Body Belief. And yeah. I eat ghee, like coconut oil. Like I, I heart, the only sugar I have is coconut sugar. And it's like a tiny snippet in my coffee. I am to your point healthier in my forties than I was before when I was trying all these other things that have been being, that have been marketed to us. And yeah. I cannot echo enough what you're saying from my own experience around food and the sugar transformative. When I did yeah. AIP, I did not realize the baseline anxiety that I have lived with almost my entire life. It was like, i had gone on a meditation retreat. So I just wanted to give my own personal anecdote of yes, yes, and yes to steps one and two. Totally. I thank you so much for saying that. I feel like if you're a child of the late 80s or 90s, you are that message of low fat is literally burned into your psyche. And it took me years to get out of that mindset as well. And I have seen when you balance your blood sugar, you even take sugar out of your diet. If you have a lot of it in it, PMS disappears, PMDD symptoms drop dramatically. Um, you know, period pain disappears, ovulatory pain stops, uh, the bloating and the breast tenderness and the migraines, they all just diminish significantly. So if there was one thing I ever told anyone to do, that would be it. <laughs> yes. Stabilize your blood sugar. So moving on from there, we yeah. go into gut health, liver detoxification, stress management, and thyroid function. So that's the six pillars that I talk about. 
And these are obviously, again, like really personalized, but I feel like there are some top level things that people can do that will be really helpful to them. And, you know, gut health is just such a huge topic. It can be talked about ad nauseum for many, many podcast episodes. But what I'll say is that your gut significantly impacts your hormone function on multiple levels. It will, you know, if there is gut dysbiosis, an overgrowth of potentially harmful bacteria, that can be problematic because it can basically, you know, get into your bloodstream and, and cause problems for you. Um, and then of course, there are a group of bacteria in your gut that are part of the estrogen balancing game. And so if they are not, if they are not balanced, then you can run into problems with your estrogen metabolism, your estrogen uh, balance in your body. So I really feel like that's, that's critical for hormonal health. Phase one and phase two of liver detox, that is going to determine what is happening with all of those hormones that your body is using and then sending to your liver to break down and be gotten rid of through your gut, by the way. So this is all working hand in hand. And I, I made multiple recommendations for people along those lines. And just again, a reminder, there's, there's so much we can all do. And like, I know that it can be overwhelming. Choose one thing, choose yeah. your biggest problem that you're dealing with and just try and focus on that because that is going to move the needle on your health. I think that's a great takeaway. Thank you so much for doing what you do. And I think those of us who've had personal experiences are just even more passionate because we get it. We yeah. came around the corner and just can't wait to share with other women on what they can do to further improve their lives. And so thank you for playing your part, um, a critical part in this and keep doing what you're doing. And I look forward to continuing to work with you. Thanks so much, Georgie, for having me. This was so great.